Hello, and welcome to Social Deconstruction with Pamela Zavala. The title of this episode is, It's Not a Pie. You'll hear me interview my friend and former classmate Parker, who's currently an assistant showrunner for Bridgerton on Netflix, a script consultant, and an all-around very cool person. Together, we take on the topic of representation in media and the need for writing both inclusive and nuanced stories. There's also some silliness along the way. Enjoy. Hi, Parker. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> good. You are a guinea pig in so many ways because you are my first official interview slash guest on the Social Deconstruction podcast. So welcome. <laughs> Thank you. I am deeply honored. <laughs> okay. So you are a showrunner's assistant on Bridgerton, which is produced by Netflix and Shondaland. And you are also a script consultant, which are two very exciting things. Yes. It's, it's like the ultimate just getting to make believe all the time, <laughs> help other people make believe. Right. And so we are here, or I uh, brought you here because I want to talk to you about the topic of representation um, and what that looks like, especially as someone who is in a creative space and who is quite literally in Hollywood, kind of at the table where projects are being produced and put out into the world. So I'm really excited for this conversation. Yeah, same. All right. So uh, I suppose we can get right into it. So representation, I feel like, is kind of a big nebulous term, especially it's thrown around a lot these days. But I'd love to have an idea of kind of what you think of when you think of representation, especially given the spaces that you're in. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think representation and is kind of thrown in with like you know, inclusion or diversity um, and all of them, depending on who you ask, have a slightly different definition. Also, before I say any of my opinions, just want to preface like um, that I'm a trans mask, white, cis passing guy. Um, so, you know, all of, all of my opinions a lot of times come from just my work experience or my living experience. Um, but yeah, I think for representation, the definition that I like the most is kind of trying to get spaces in different industries to reflect around the like the world that we live in um, by getting, you know, a pretty good reflection of the demographics of the world in whatever space you're in, like media, you know, um, technology, those sorts of things. But that's a really simplified version of what's happening. And I think in terms of media too, representation is really showing right. like a really wide range of specific experiences um, and making sure that people are not being overlooked or certain identities or lifestyles right. or whatever get more nuanced representation than others. So for me, representation, I think, is going towards a more equal, both having people in a space, but also how people are being literally represented um, and making sure everyone has a fair share of attention and respect. Right, absolutely. And so how does it come up in the work that you do and in the work that you see uh, in Hollywood and in television? Yeah, well, like... Honestly, Hollywood is such a huge producer of everything that we see, um, you know, TV, film, mm. just media in general is where we really think of a lot of representation of, you know, thinking mm -hmm. of that's for better or worse, where a lot of people see certain identities for the first time is on a TV show, is in a movie. Um, it's where you, you know, meet characters who are different from you are, but like you get to know them as if they're real people. But also it's where the majority of negative stereotypes come from it's where a lot of prejudices get right. just they they keep getting recycled over time um and because tv and film are so popular 
you know, for better, it is also very universal. So representation is a huge thing because there's just Hollywood has these massive platforms reaching millions and millions of people. Um, so what we're actually showing the world is really important. Right. I was actually thinking about that earlier. Just I was trying to figure out like what proportion of just like the stories that we consume these days and especially kids growing up now, like what proportion of the stories that they consume and see come from TV and movies now. Um, it's such a prevalent platform now that, you know, movie theaters are basically in people's homes. So just in terms of the stories that get shared and who people see on TV, it's it, it's absolutely something that's important to think about. Yeah, for sure. And it's also, it's changed a lot too, I think recently because of streaming platforms, mm -hmm. because of this like personalization, honestly, like maybe even a decade ago, what we saw is representation were these big, you know, network shows that people all tuned in to watch on like Thursday nights. But nowadays, right. everyone can kind of like tailor their viewing experiences. You can watch something from the 80s. You can watch something, you know, you can watch a Polish show. You can watch an Israeli show um, all in the same way we used mm -hmm. to watch TV. So it's an interesting experience of right. people getting to choose what they want to watch. But there's now so much more content yeah. that you can have. So it's, de it's definitely changing a lot. That's so interesting, actually. When you were saying that, what brought what the brought to mind for me was on social media and stuff like that, and on platforms like TikTok, you hear about people saying like, "Oh, like I have this niche and I exist within this niche," and I'm wondering if if people in general have niches for television that they stay in, um, and what that kind of does for, I guess maybe they kind of self limit what they consume because there is so much and there's so many platforms that I guess once you figure out what you like or what stories you want to see, you can kind of stick within that yeah no it's so true i mean it's kind of this weird paradox because you have so much content but yeah you get to choose things um and also yeah. you now have these algorithms that feed specifically to you you know versus right nbc or whoever usually is changing used to like choose programming for like what does you know the country want versus right. like now netflix right. is going off of what do like what do i as parker <laughs> watch and then feed me things right. and it could be something totally new or it's like this is mm -hmm. two percent away from things that you already like so it is a weird yes. you know it's half people choosing but also getting other things chosen for them but right. <laughs> it's like by a robot yeah <laughs> right <laughs> well i like to think that i am actively contributing to the war against the algorithms and the robots by just watching Grey's anatomy over and over again thank you for your times. service yeah so that's we're how, all <laughs> that's how i fighting the good I fight <laughs> <laughs> by yeah. just literally that's only watching Grey's anatomy <laughs> <laughs> that's how i combat the algorithm <laughs> yes yeah same i'm like you know in my world it's always going to be like 2008 like <laughs> <laughs> I refuse to move on. <laughs> right. I refuse to accept the suggestions. I know, seriously. And there's plenty there's plenty to watch. I was like this will <laughs> I can just keep rewatching oh, yeah. for the rest of my life. Yeah, honestly. Okay, so this is an interesting question and one that I feel like could kind of be a fun one. When was the first time you felt like you saw yourself represented either on the small or large screen? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think for me, just like as a person and my personality, mm -hmm. um, 30 Rock, like Liz Lemon yes. was the like a pit of me yes. of who I wanted to be at like 15 years old. Right. I was like, oh, she's dorky. She's really smart, like has great insults for everybody, you know, like <laughs> ran a TV show. Like it was it was just this like, oh, cool. She's not 
like this super sexy blonde like she yeah. doesn't like but she's also not like a complete like you know has to be yeah. very like girl boss like mm-hmm. warrior sort of thing like she was just a dork yeah yeah i think that was the first time and and gray's anatomy too like meredith mm-hmm. gray and christina yang like you know growing up as a girl who likes science and just seeing these like badass women being surgeons mm-hmm. and just hanging out like that was <laughs> Grey's Anatomy right. shaped most of my like personal life and career um so I always have to give props <laughs> for like the last 15 years or the last 10 years yeah really really coming down to me wanting to be like McDreamy slash Meredith slash Christina I love but it. I think like yeah and it's funny because honestly even now those are still the shows that I think of most as like me versus um mm-hmm. you know seeing like trans characters Cosima from Orphan Black was also like a mm-hmm. very big one for me but also there was a trans mass character in that and that was the first time I had mm-hmm. seen really like a trans guy and this is before I had started transitioning or really thought about it but mm-hmm. I kind of like look back in hindsight and be like oh okay <laughs> now I see where <laughs> trans guy with like really long hair looked like yeah. me with a goatee I was like oh okay that tracks, that tracks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> the, the math is mathing all of a sudden <laughs> oh yeah for sure what about you? Oh, I was actually trying to think of that. Okay, so I feel like when I was very, very young, the my okay my show when I was little, like up until probably middle school, was that so Raven, and for me that was like mm. the, my first time. I'm of that generation, and so that was my first time seeing like a normal black girl on TV with a black family just living her life with her friends, and it's one of those shows that like you watch when you're older and you realize that they actually touched on a lot of issues in their own disney channel yeah way. they really did but that was my show i wanted to be her i wanted to be raven baxter um <laughs> and then similar similar reaction to 30 rock i absolutely love that show and then so recently i feel like i've leaned more into watching movies than tv but the most recent time i can think of that i just was like oh that's my life on the screen was actually when in the heights came out mm. and i i had such mixed feelings about this movie because i this might get my podcast canceled early but i'm not the biggest lynn fan dare I, I, you. I, I know i know <laughs> the theater I cops also, are coming for you <laughs> i know <laughs> but actually no there was an interesting discussion on representation kind of even leading up to the release of that movie so I was already fun of following that in terms of like who they chose to cast and whatnot. And so I went to see it, you know, mid expectations. I wasn't, I didn't have the highest expectations or the lowest expectations, but I just went to see it. And I kid you not, there was one little snippet of a scene in the opening number where one of the like Dominican moms is making breakfast. And I literally, like tears came to my eyes and I was like, I can't believe I'm this emotional right now, but that is literally my childhood that I'm seeing on a big screen. Oh, wow. Um, and so <laughs> it like surprised <laughs> me how like, like it was, it felt so deep to see it so normal on a hall, like on a movie screen in front of me, um, part of my childhood. So that was a yeah. very profound moment for me. No, that's a, like, that's incredible. I mean, honestly, I mean, I am a huge Lin-Manuel Fran- Miranda fan. And like in the Heights, when I first <laughs> listened to it, it was actually like one of the biggest reasons I got back into writing um, and and having yeah. like <laughs> switching out of neuroscience and, and going more into like plays and slam poetry and all that. <laughs> I forgot you did neuro. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like and, and that's something too. Like I really love the movie, but 
was like mm-hmm. keeping up with all these debates about it and and seeing also that yeah. you know it seemed like the debate about representation was also keeping a lot of people from there and you know i would love to see a deeper yeah. debate about this versus like west side story of like both of them having controversies yeah. that like kept people from watching it um yeah yeah sure. but that that's the thing like again i like i'm that's not my specific identity or anything, but I've always loved, mm-hmm. I've always loved that because I was like, there's so much story that was pulled from just structurally, a, you know, there's not that much story that happens. Yeah. It's three days in a contemporary neighborhood. Right. It doesn't have the normal musical elements of having like a famous person or being in a certain period. Like right. it's, it was kind of revolutionary for how mundane it was. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I always thought that was, and the, and the movie seemed to really do that, but yeah, I, I I always wondered how it felt being a part of that community. Like, mm-hmm. how much do you feel like you're reflected in, in that whole question, too, also of, like, how much does one movie owe a full right. community? You yeah. know, like... <laughs> I was genuinely shocked that I had that reaction. Yeah, I mean, but that's also cool. Like, <laughs> that feeling yeah, of seeing yourself in... And it's those little moments, too. It's not... Yeah, I feel yeah. like people don't talk about that. It's, it's always, like, yeah. that little thing. That's so specific. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, kind of the converse of that. Has there been a time recently when you've seen LGBTQ representation on TV or film where you said, hmm, maybe that could have been done better or I'm not so sure about that, especially as someone who is a script consultant and kind of as a job uh, looks for ways to make representation kind of the best that it can possibly be in other people's projects? Yeah. I mean, honestly... I mean, I could go on a very long rant. I've been watching Euphoria recently. <laughs> um, I haven't seen the most recent episode, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is episode five. Um, but mm-hmm. Yeah, either four or five. But that's one that um, I was watching and I was like, just from like watching it, I was like, there is no writer's room on it. This is a thousand percent written by one mm. man, specifically a white cis het man. Um and it comes up in, and then, you know, I think there's plenty of writer, director, creators. Um, but there was this one mm-hmm. scene that I had with uh, Jules, who's a trans girl. Um, and it was like her with Rue and, and, and this new guy, Elliot. And she mentions that she's wearing a binder. And Elliot mm-hmm. just is basically like, you're nuts. Like, you're crazy. Why do you do that? Hmm. Um, there was also stuff that like came off as hmm. a lot of like slut shaming. And it, to me, it felt super transphobic in a very weird way. I was like, it's such a specific thing to yeah. mention. And I'm like, I've never heard of a trans femme person talk about binding, especially on a, like an HBO show. Mm-hmm. But right. it got shut down so quickly. And like for her to feel bad about that, that just that just like mm-hmm. raised alarms in my head. Yeah. But I also just watched the one that she co-created or she co-wrote, mm-hmm. uh, she co-wrote um, the Jules special episode from last year. And that one was also like very specific trans stuff I haven't heard on TV, but it was done really, really well and thoughtfully, I thought, of like her. Okay. In that one, she mentions that she's thinking about detransitioning, which also always raises alarm bells because it's almost always the same thing you hear, mm-hmm. especially for like trans youth, is that like, oh, well, people detransition. And I was like, oh, having one of the most prominent trans girls on television detransition could be really harmful. Right. But then when she started talking about it and it was more from her like personal mm-hmm. need to not be controlled by the idea of femininity or like that she had reached a point where like 
she had gotten so caught up mm-hmm. in like feminine beauty standards and needing to be like a certain way um for men and the male gaze and i was like oh shit like this sorry i don't know if i can swear on no, here go for it. <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> shit uh yeah, like that to me, I was like, oh, I feel really seen yeah. because nobody ever talks about that on right. TV of this moment when you transition and you've done so much like changing of social behavior and mm-hmm. stuff that like it blurs the line from like, is this who I am or is this what I'm doing to like fit in with my my preferred gender identity? Right. Um, yeah, so, so that show especially, I think like... <laughs> I love and hate, but you can tell <laughs> who is behind the scenes yeah. for like why I love it or hate it so much. Um, right. Yeah. And and I think the other uh, I haven't seen the show, but I've been following like the discourse on it is um, the non-binary character on the Sex in the City reboot. And just like yes. that. Yes. OK, I've been. Yeah. Watching <laughs> have you watched Listen, it? Because I haven't I seen have. it. <laughs> I have been watching it. I, I admittedly have been watching it because I love Sex in the City. And I feel like it's almost mm-hmm. an obligation to watch what happens next. Um, so I have been watching it. But listen, the internet does not like JDS. <laughs> no, no, they do not. not <laughs> I've all. never seen this many articles over a character. And I've seen a lot of like terrible TV characters. <laughs> yeah. Like, goodness. Yeah. I saw a funny tweet, like literally maybe two days ago, that said JDS set back gay rights by like 20 years. <laughs> it, yeah it, it's crazy like, oh my gosh <laughs> i know that that was something too like i was just reading an article i mean i read a bunch of articles of like yeah che diaz is the worst and then somebody at rolling mm-hmm. stone wrote like in defense of che diaz but it was kind of worse right. in a way where they're like oh it's good that they're flattened like maybe that was on yeah. purpose uh, uh yeah no it's not i mean i haven't yeah because i haven't actually watched but i was just I was like, I know the kind of character it sounds like because I've seen a lot of those throw in a trans non-binary character who's like super woke and it's like, (laughs) you know, becomes the woke police in a way or like makes it their entire identity is either very sexualized or just like only about not being (laughs) cisgendered. Yeah. Yeah. All of the above is what's happening in the show. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, All of the above. And I think so something that I've heard people say a lot is that like you were just saying, this character feels kind of like a throw like they were just kind of thrown into the plot um, just to yeah. give it one another like interesting branch for the characters to interact with. Um, so that's that's I think where a lot of the discourse is coming from is what is this character even like if you take out Che Diaz, like what is it really adding or taking away from this show? Yeah, um, so that's been interesting. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of like the, the the magic character of like, okay, let's check. <laughs> like, yeah, and, and Sarah Ramirez <laughs> is such an incredible character. Sarah Ramirez was also yes. a huge, huge person in my own like coming out and like mm-hmm. seeing them on Grey's Anatomy and then in Madam Secretary. Like, mm-hmm. they're they're an incredible performer, um, which is why it was also, it was interesting they said too that they're like, you know, I'm not representing the community. Like this character isn't mm-hmm. supposed to be representing communities like no community is a a monolith like they're just themselves right i i think that's also something that is really interesting with representation is this debate of like having someone who's like a bad person of a certain identity you know and depending Mm -hmm. on people are being like it's refreshing to not Mm -hmm. see the like model minority but also yeah if there hasn't been a lot of representation before it kind of falls back into stereotypes so 
Right. Che Diaz seems to be that kind of where it's like, oh, is it refreshing to see a non-binary person who's super confident and is right. kind of an asshole or like whatever they're doing <laughs> on the show? Yeah. Or is it feeding into like all of the like stereotypes against non-binary people? And <laughs> yeah. Right. right. And what's your take on it? So, <laughs> so I think I, I, I'm always really interested when it comes to representation about kind of what you were just saying, uh, the, the burden of kind of carrying a community on your shoulders. Um, and I think, and you're kind of more in it, like literally than I am. I'm just a viewer, but I think we're, because there's so many options now and there's so many characters and so many stories being told, we're maybe starting to be able to move away from having one particular character identity represented and then having that person sort of be the icon in all of television that represents this one particular community. Um, because it, it's it's spread out, but I think there's a lot more. And we're obviously not fully where things should be yet in terms of representation. But I think that's that's definitely like a trap, I think, of, of this topic is tr- people tend to fall back on, oh, this is the one that represents us and they're supposed to be perfect in all of these ways. And it doesn't maybe leave room for the character to have flaws and to have stories that maybe depart from what's traditionally expected yeah for sure i don't know i'm just kind of talking here (laughs) no no i think that's so right and i think (laughs) i think it's weird because it's like yeah i think what's missing isn't necessarily like more positive or negative flaws but more of just the nuance because a lot of times it feels like any kind of tokenized character they aren't a character they aren't treated as a person they're either like Mm -hmm. really great like you know whether it's the wise person or the sassy sidekick or whoever like is just there to support Mm -hmm. and is only saying positive things Mm -hmm. always does the right thing or on the other hand is just a horrible person who has no empathy who has nothing yeah versus you know what most people are which is like you make hard decisions sometimes you are a little selfish or a little impulsive but like you have good you know you you try your best but sometimes you don't (laughs) right I know. I think. I think also just that idea too. Like representation, I think really does come down to numbers as well. Like, not just having one person of that identity on this show, but like, you know, Che Diaz is also one of the most prominent non-binary characters of all of these shows. And there's like over 500 right. scripted shows right now, and maybe like mm-hmm. three non-binary characters. And so, right. yeah, like they are kind of seen as the one. Um, right. And I think on the other end of the spectrum, though. I am also seeing some really great shows, which none of them have lived as long as they should, which is like, you know, like Pose, Vita, mm-hmm. One Day at a Time, I think is on yes. the opposite end of the spectrum, yeah. right? Like a community where it's- Loved One Day at a Time. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm obsessed with it. It was, <laughs> that show makes so me cry funny. all the time. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, like it's, it's, and that's what I mean also by like that specificity, right? Again, not, not mm-hmm. communities that I'm personally a part right. of, but getting to see- okay, everyone has like a somewhat similar background that they're not the tokenized person, but then you're like, yeah, yeah. these are people, you know, like you get when when their character isn't about them being different from the other characters in terms of identity. It's mm-hmm. like you get all these really rich relationships and really cool characters and it all ends up right. in the same themes, you know, like I, every story yeah. ends up <laughs> hitting on these, <laughs> you know, family, friendships, power, love, success, yeah. like, all that stuff but you get to see it through such a more nuanced lens and it's really like i was like that's really Mm -hmm. cool like that to me is always great like it's also really refreshing honestly as a viewer to be like cool like this isn't my world but 
I'm getting, <laughs> you know, I'm getting to see so many people and it's not because they're saying like, oh, this is, you know, because right. I'm X, I can only talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of is a great, right. great version of that too, I think. Like, um, have you seen Sort of on HBO Max? Sort of, no, I haven't, but I'm literally writing it down right now. <laughs> oh, it's, sort it's of. really well done. It's, okay. it's about a non-binary uh pakistani canadian nanny oh who's cool. super deadpan and like um but and 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 it was interesting because i watched the sex lives of college girls and then i watched sort of mm-hmm. and the difference i think too of like how identity politics was made especially in a comedy mm-hmm. and how it was approached like yeah sex lives of college girls it was very on the surface like everyone is being yep. like i am this you know mm-hmm. these are my problems mm-hmm. and their characters were really defined by like being on financial aid, being of a certain like, you know, ethnicity, being a certain sexuality. And like that mm-hmm. was like kind of the core of their character. Right. Um, with sort of, you know, you have a character who has a lot of intersectional identities, but like the show's not about that. It's about mm-hmm. life and death and like right. having issues with your family and like figuring your shit out in your twenties and, you know, right. what does it mean to like take care of people versus take care of yourself? And right. I was like, oh, this is really cool because like identity still comes into play but it's not just like that's what this show is about right and it, and and that to, i was like oh this is awesome because i was like i know there's shows like this out there yeah. um they're just not getting the, the love that they should be getting right now uh, i know we'll forever be bitter about one day at a time <laughs> i know I, I literally wrote um I, I wrote a letter to get passed along to Reed Hastings. I was like, Bowden alum to Bowden alum. Oh. <laughs> you need to keep the show on Netflix. Like, Oh my God. Yeah. yeah I, me, I'd like to honestly, think that I single-handedly got them like a third season. But <laughs> third season. You, you absolutely welcome. probably did. Yeah. And, yeah. And I, I was, I was a little that. too obsessed. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome. Everyone, you're welcome. <laughs> you're, you're doing the Lord's work. It's fantastic. Yeah. Doing my part. <laughs> So um, something that I was just re- was just reading actually. So in 2021, um, Glad released a report, and they found that basically racial diversity among queer representation is going up on television, and that made me really excited, especially when you think about kind of identity is so intersectional. Um, that I, I just love that there's such a variety even within LGBT representation and within racial representation that we're telling more nuanced stories kind of across identity spectrum in every way that you can think of um and i also and that's you know thinking about shows like pose and um i just i think that's another great trend that we're seeing in television now yeah no it's true it's and it is interesting like i i feel like one of those things that if you aren't part of like a minority you don't have to be like the numbers are up but (laughs) it's also important like (laughs) we got more of us (laughs) statistically we're significant our p-value is no i'm kidding yeah literally (laughs) no um (laughs) well i i say that because you just mentioned that sometimes and i think hollywood is an industry at the end of the day and maybe some things are numbers games to some people um even though for for others it may just be a matter of seeing someone who's like them on tv uh it is an industry at the end of the day and so numbers do matter in some sense of the word yeah no for sure and i think that's something too that you know the numbers game of media has gotten a lot more convoluted recently because it's not you know Mm -hmm. they used to be more traditional ratings like how many you know how many people are tuning in to watch this right now you know with netflix and things like that their numbers 
are more internal and what counts as watching something can be, you know, you watch the whole thing, you watch two minutes, like what counts as a view. But yeah, I think I always also want to push like production company studios, whoever's really crunching the numbers when they look at like the value of a show. Mm-hmm. Like there's a huge value in in these shows that have representation of specific mm-hmm. communities, like because it's the social media aspect, it's the blogs, you know, it's the fanfic. Right. Like there's, it's, it's harder to quantify that, but it's like, yeah, if you put a queer person in your show, mm-hmm. I can guarantee you're getting more viewers because right. word will spread. People right. will watch. Like there are full sites that only will like, recap or like give you news yeah like there there are sites where it's only like queer female characters on tv if there is one they will show up on this site you know and they'll be like watch this show (laughs) yeah so and and that's a big thing is like a lot of times people do turn like tune into a show to see people like them you know you want to ship people and you want to like there's so much more fan interaction and right i can't put a dollar amount on that i'm sure there's a way to um right (laughs) But I feel like that doesn't get like I feel like that gets discounted pretty quickly. And I don't think that it should be because it is, you know, you know, especially with so many things to watch. Yeah. Having a show that has a community built in like you have fandoms. Right. That's what keeps it. You know, that's really important these days because you have to compete with so many shows. Right. So I think it's always in your best interest to like be as diverse and, and as inclusive as as possible. No, absolutely. Purely, purely on a money's, yeah, you know, purely from the <laughs> capitalism of it. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, and as you were saying that, I was just thinking of how many shows I've kept watching beyond the point where I wanted to watch them because I liked like one, you know, solid black character that they had or one black woman character that I just loved. So I kept, you know, I stayed invested in the shows and I read the things that people wrote about this one character, or this one couple online. <laughs> there's so many shows like that. yeah that's so true i've been to full conventions like that. <laughs> wait really i went to a full convention that was literally it, it's called clexicon uh-huh. and it was literally based off of like a queer relationship in the show the hundred and it like after they killed off what the <laughs> one of the women like it caused such an uproar oh gosh. um and now there's a full convention just like dedicated to like queer female relationships on tv shows and in that's movies that's amazing and hundred like it was a thing it yeah. was great <laughs> <laughs> one day yeah the one day at a time showed a cast showed up when no i went way. there a couple years ago so you know it's like a thing it's cross country it's cross marketing oh. what's it called clexicon yeah it's called clexicon Okay, I'm gonna link that in the show notes for for li- my listeners, in case they're interested. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so get them out. To, get them out, them to, out Vegas to Vegas for Clexicon. <laughs> Listen, got to got to do the work. <laughs> got to do the work. <laughs> so, in addition to uh, being a script consultant and being in this writer's room, you also produce work of your own. Um, if I recall, you, you, you're a playwright. You've written plays. You've written you've you've written screenplays. So, how do you think about the topic of representation or um, disrepresentation in general when you're in your own work and you're developing your own characters? Yeah, um, I mean, honestly, because. Yeah, I also <laughs> studied sociology and and I'm really I've always really been interested in representation and like how powerful TV can be specifically um which is part mm-hmm. of the reason like I 
really decided to be a professional writer um, rather than just doing it as a hobby was just seeing like, oh, you know, when you do it well, there's there's a huge impact, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So I think for right. me, honestly, a lot of the projects, it's it's a tricky line between the classic, you know, write what you know, but yeah. also like <laughs> write what you want to see. Um, right. And so I think like in college, I wrote a play um, called Recur and it was about a comp sci student who's in a technical interview for like, you know, a place like Google. Um, and during the interview, you mm-hmm. see kind of goes back and forth in time and you see her journey through college, like her relationship with her mom, her relationship with her her mentor. Yeah. And that was something that, you know, I wrote because mm-hmm. I was like, I want to talk about women in STEM. Um, don't want to be <laughs> super preachy about it. Like a lot of this conversation started with like, okay, is this going to be a vagina monologues mm-hmm. type thing? You know, like grab a lot of real people's things, but it would be a little less personalized mm-hmm. and shorter stories or create like a fictionalized portrait of someone who represents a lot of people's stories. Um, and and a lot of that too came from like, again, not my lived experience. Mm-hmm. I also was really feeling like if we're really going to talk about the issues of this, like it can't be a white woman. <laughs> like that was a really big part of it. Um, but again, like, as someone who is a white writer, mm-hmm. like how can I kind of help use my time and and make a story about this to talk about the, you know, just the nuances of being a woman in STEM um, in a way that's not, you know, just for my own sake right. or like just how I think mm-hmm. it probably feels like. So a lot of this ended up being an experiment in like research, collaboration with other people, um, Yeah. And so I ended up like interviewing Mm -hmm. a lot of, I think I interviewed like 25 different women in different, different STEM things, specifically computer science, and then was starting to talk to like, I did a table read and I spoke with my actors. Like, again, it's just like a tricky process that I haven't found a lot of like precedent for either of like, how do you do and to kind of avoid the euphoria aspect of somebody who (laughs) seems to also just like, you know, a white guy who speaks on behalf like has a black woman protagonist but kind of just speaks for like that experience because of like one you know oh we've both done drugs but like there's so many nuances it's like you you just can't get that and there's no writer's room so I think like anytime you are writing alone I I that was the first time I was really like okay I need to bring in like I want to bring in as many people as possible for like making this a good story Mm -hmm. um so that that that's been a really big, you know, I've written pilots that are much more like autobiographical and about, you know, white non-binary overachiever in small town mm-hmm. working at a steakhouse. Like that was my life. Like that's something mm-hmm. I was like, cool, this <laughs> yeah. is something. Um, and, you know, I love writing TV because it's collaborative. Like you write mm-hmm. the pilot and if it goes and it gets picked up to series, most shows have writer's room. So you can have like eight to 12 other people creating the story together and that gives you so many more perspectives it gives you so many more voices um so and so that's but again it's also tricky because you write the pilot by yourself um and so that's even like my last the the pilot that i just finished was a similar thing where i was like okay here's a story that is very personal me but like i want to make this a show that is really inclusive that has a lot of like different perspectives and voices Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it's that there's a lot of debates always on like, oh, what's fiction? What's not, you know, orange is the new black got a lot of backlash 
for having a, mm-hmm. um, I think, an all-white writer's room for most of the series, you know, when yeah. it was mostly women of color in the prison system, like, you have a lot of upper-middle-class white people. Um, and and some of the defense for that was, like, writer's right, you know? Um, yeah. Which I don't always think is true. And so mm-hmm. for my own stuff, you know, there is definitely, obviously, fiction when I'm, like, writing about a single mother who has the power to, like, change people's memories. Uh, obviously right. I do not have any of the <laughs> none of that is what my <laughs> life looks like um, but y- you know so so I feel like it is always a process that's why I like working with actors too of being like hey like call me out on this stuff you know like there's things yeah. that I'm missing like always having to be like hey this is what my intention is you know I've mm-hmm. done my homework I'm trying like as far as I know <laughs> I'm trying to not do this but I have blind spots and the thing about mm-hmm. blind spots it's like you don't know where they are um, yeah, you know, I wouldn't know what I'm someone... missing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, it's that delicate process, too, of not trying to push it on other people, but more of like, hey, if you like this script, mm-hmm. if you resonate with this character, like, I would love to hear your thoughts of like, yeah, like, right. did anything feel out of character? Did anything not right with that? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, with my latest script, um, that actually happened with me. I was talking, I had a non-binary character which <laughs> identity wise I would think is like, Oh, that's the closest to my own experience. Like I've mm-hmm. like identified as non-binary for several years. Like I've been in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, there's a scene where the, the non-binary, non-binary character um, is like in a bar and goes to a bar and then gets like pushed out, like goes into the men's room and then like gets pushed out by a guy and it like starts this big like bar fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had that for like several drafts. And then um, I spoke to my friend who was uh, going to be the actor for the character in the table read. And I was like, yeah, like you got any things? And they were like, yeah, this is actually really harmful because, you know, it plays mm-hmm. into the the fears a lot of non-binary people have about going to an opposite gender bathroom. I was like, yeah. oh, you're so fucking right. Like, <laughs> I yeah. totally missed that, that like it didn't serve the story. I was like, okay, cool. Let me rewrite that. And I rewrote the scene. Right. So like, that's not you know, the bar fight still happens for the sake of the story, but now it's in a different perspective. It ends up being like a guy who's hitting on a woman. And right. Um, and, and for that too, I like asked friends, like cis women where I was like, Hey, have you ever had a creepy guy hit on you at a bar? And like, Oh, mm-hmm. like, yes, I have. <laughs> Let me tell you yeah. about it. Resounding. Yes. <laughs> Resounding. The stories were wild. And I was like, wow, I had no idea. <laughs> So I think that's like, at least for now, you know, like in this process where like I technically don't, you know, I don't have a writing partner. Um, yeah. And when I put a name on my script, you know, everyone's thinking like, this is me. This is my voice. This is who I'm representing. Um, right. And it is still like a weird, you know, going forward of casting and all that stuff. But like, I'm trying at least as a writer with these projects being like, okay, you know, being open, being willing to change a lot of details, not getting precious about my perspective on something, right. just like giving the intention, but also being like, <laughs> I don't, I don't know, you know, like you, right? Every, like so many people know more about these kind of things than I do. It's more of, mm-hmm. you know, trying my best to do that until I can get to the point that it is actually being co-written by a group of people. Um, yeah. And I don't have to be the one representing every single voice without right. you know any feedback or anything right yeah no i think that that willingness to leave that space for for feedback is so crucial and i wish more people did that in multiple areas of life not just 
you you and your writing projects. That's so important. Yeah. I wish there would be more conversation about this too. Cause I mean, honestly, I think when we do talk about diversity and representation, like the, the fear is getting pushed out. Like I think any creative right. who is currently successful, when you hear about like, there aren't enough of like other people, it kind of sounds like, Oh my, they're coming from my job. Right. <laughs> like, and I think that's yeah. something I've seen some writers who really do do well with like co-creating um, shout out mm -hmm. Mike Royce, who co-created one day at a time and specifically mm -hmm. works a lot with, with other creators of color to like use his experience. He's got decades of experience in the comedy mm -hmm. world, but for these other stories, but it is really like mm -hmm. helping while not like making it like about his voice specifically. And that's something that I'm like, I hope that's kind of my thing, but also we need to have a right. conversation with a lot of, you know, sensitive artists who do want <laughs> to make their stuff and do feel like, you know, we all have our own unique experiences, but also there needs to be a way to make room for everybody, you know? And I, 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 I wish we had yeah. more that was pushing against that. There's not enough room for everyone. Cause I, sure. I think there is. Right. It's not a pie. It's not a pie. It's not, it's not limited slices. <laughs> It's a never-ending ice cream machine. <laughs> right. Is that what they teach in grad school? It's like uh, it's not a pie. It's not. It is. What the, that's that's all. That's all. That's all. If I could, if I had to sum up my doctoral sociological education so far, it's it's not a pie. It's an it's a never-ending soft serve yeah. machine. Everyone can have a cone. <laughs> Wait, I need the. I feel like I need an explosion yeah. sound effect. <laughs> I wish I could hear it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I know. <laughs> it's not a pie. I might edit not that in pie. later. A little explosion. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's not a pie. And if it is a pie, it's a pie that replenishes itself. Yes, exactly. It's self-replenishing pie. So. <laughs> you're just. You're just. We're just generating T-shirt ideas already. I'm telling you. You're going to have such yeah, great merch actually, for this podcast. <laughs> I know. <laughs> if it is any kind of pie, it's the numerical pie. Never, never ends. ends. Yeah. There we go. There we go. That's the limit of my it's math skills. That kind You're of like, pie. sure. That's, that is li quite literally the yes. limit of my math skills. Is I know the limit does is. exist for me and my math skills. The limit does exist. <laughs> my my limit ends with Mean Girl references to about the limit. Right. <laughs> Oh, that's so real. <laughs> I know. And I'm like, how did I not major in neuroscience? <laughs> like... <laughs> no, I, I thought I was going to be an econ major for like half a semester. Uh, I think we got to two exams before I realized that. I think we all went through a phase, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we all went through. We all went through a phase. We all went through the Bowdoin econ gov. Oh, yeah. No, I remember like phase. touring colleges <laughs> and just blatantly saying like, I'm going to be a biochemistry major. I had no plans on doing that. I was just like <laughs> manifesting <laughs> it for myself. It sounds super. <laughs> it's like shopping name brands, you know, like you start with the degree that sounds the coolest and the smartest and yeah, then yeah, yeah. you end up in sociology. <laughs> right. The the one that's the hardest to explain and least applicable to the most things. Right. Or the most. I mean, honestly, I really I didn't is. know until I started work, but script <laughs> consulting and working in creative development is like the sociologist's dream job because you just read a lot of things and then people pay you to give you give an opinion. Yeah. <laughs> and if it's really sexist or racist, you can also just make sure it never gets made. You're just like, all right, cool. 
This oh. is not worth your time. And you're like, you are living the dream. Wow. I know. I always felt like a superhero as an intern, you know, right. <laughs> with all my power. All the power that comes with the, <laughs> with the internship. Yeah. Now that I'm like writing scripts to be sent out, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm terrified of the assistants and the interns like control my fate. <laughs> you got to be really nice to them. Wow. Because they're always yeah. the first people, you know, like they, they read yeah. the most and they are the most right. up to date with like everything. Oh, interesting. How the tables have turned, sort of. I think maybe maybe <laughs> as an assistant, I'm like, yeah, we're the most powerful <laughs> secretly. <Yeah. laughs> okay, well, all that remains to ask is what what stories do you think remain to be told? And that's kind of a big question. But what stories do you want to tell moving forward? Yeah, I mean, for me personally, um, this is actually the next uh, project I want to work on is uh, mm-hmm. I really want to have like a feel good show about with a trans masculine character that's like not about just being trans. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, I grew up figure skating and one of the mm-hmm. I, I want to write a show that's about a trans figure skater um and his mom who's a figure skating coach which is like oh. my mom she was my figure skating coach but like at an elite level like yeah. it's like the the best figure skater in the world for the women's division um but then transitions and kind of like walks away from it and then ends up getting yeah. back into skating but for uh ice theater which is <laughs> a very dramatic pretty low stakes yet high stakes version like part of figure skating not a lot of people know about yeah and i mean i'm super excited about it too because you know it's yeah. That's another one of those like this is this is exactly what I know like this is a lot of my own experience but I think you know I'm excited about it not just cuz it's like this this is kind of my own childhood and growing up in this kind of weird theater world but also you know I've never seen a trans masculine protagonist ever right. um you know pose did one for trans representation but it was a very specific community um right. that was mostly trans femme and I think when people mm-hmm. think of trans folks i think of trans women most of the time and so you know just that in itself but also not having just like oh it's a millennial in new york or la like right i wanted to also have like what is it like being queer and trans in a small town you know or in a conservative area that's also not this like sad (laughs) you know (laughs) boys don't cry right level yeah but i think it's also more than that it's like okay it's about parenting it's about coming you know becoming an adult and mm-hmm. I've noticed through my own transition a lot of the hard parts wasn't just me you know transitioning from female to male it was also mm-hmm. just like I'm you know out of school I'm not a kid anymore my personality yeah. is changing and I noticed that with my cis friends you know like you kind of like get you're not the kid that your parents grew up with but you're also kind of becoming your parents at the same time right. <laughs> oh, and oh, so yeah. I was like I love that yeah you know that like awkward growth phase where you're like oh i can see myself like becoming my my mother but <laughs> in, like, in all senses like physically right. mentally like personality wise um yeah and i think also just you know as a former athlete and obviously yeah. you being an amazing incredible athlete yourself like i think that's also where like what do you do after that thing that kind of like mm-hmm. gave you a lot of purpose growing up and right. what you know love it or hate it it was like most of what you do (laughs) and how do you kind of redefine yourself when you're done with that thing that made you who you are right um yeah because even as as a writer I've kind of struggled with the idea of making like a sports movie that's not high stakes right Mm -hmm. like because my first thing's like oh I should do it with the Olympics (laughs) or like win lose but I was like you know 
for most people, it is just going to be like the regional, you know, yeah. showcase competition and it can mean <laughs> a lot to you. And, right. and it's been so hard for me to wrap my mind around that for some reason, yeah. I think coming out of that competitive mindset. Right. Um, so I'm excited. I mean, that that's one of those shows that I was like, I honestly don't know where it's going. Yeah. It's already hard for me to do, but like, I would love to have like a genuine comedy that's happens to have you know talking about gender but gender for everybody yeah you know because we all perform gender we all have you can have one person who's trying to figure out like you know who am i as a guy right who am i like what does it mean to be masculine what does it mean to be masculine in a space that's super feminine <laughs> right you know but in the same way too of like everyone you know why do we have you know makeup and these things like why do we always kind of define yeah certain objects that don't mean anything i mean social deconstruction yeah deconstruct it yeah yeah okay <laughs> do it in a fun do way Do it in a fun way parker are you really saying that you don't want your trans mask figure skater story to have all the political nuance and pageantry of rocky four <laughs> i'm absolutely saying it should have the political nuance <laughs> it's actually just rocky four <laughs> It's actually just Rocky Four. It's Rocky ice. Four, but like meets Billy Elliot. Like he gives up boxing and then becomes a figure skater. <laughs> That's all it is. No, it's it's, it's going to be more like Cobra Kai, but on ice. Like same characters. Okay, okay, okay. Fantastic. Same I'm selling characters. it to Netflix as a spinoff. I was like, I know you've been wanting this. Yeah, fantastic. You're welcome. This it's is karate on ice. This, this is what Reed's been waiting for. Look, polar bear to polar bear. <laughs> <laughs> Boat and blood runs deep. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Goodness. Oh, I got plenty more where that's. Okay, so. Oh, I'm. So, I'm so, <laughs> Save it for next episode. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Save it for the next episode. Um, okay, so I want to end my interviews on a fun question. Which And so the one I want to ask you is, if you had a billboard that could be anywhere and say anything for free, like just your own billboard, where would it be and what would it say? Oh, God. Mm. Oh, no. I mean, now I think it's just going to be there. <laughs> there is no pie. <laughs> There's no pie. <laughs> I, you know, you know, like those guerrilla marketing things where it's like, yeah, it would be like a giant. It'd be an actual pie. It'd be and an actual it just pie, yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With like one slice, you know, when like the billboards are kind of like shaped around a mm -hmm. building. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there is no yeah. pie. I'm trying to think of something that's yeah, like that's a triangle true. shape. Yeah. Like the like the, the, the Chinese theater. So it looks like a pie yeah. slice. Oh. And there's a, just like a giant that. pie around it. And it says there is no pie. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. It would be like the coolest thing on Hollywood Boulevard yeah. besides the Wax Museum. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> there's a. Yes. My favorite billboard in the world is on my way home from the airport whenever i go home it's this random lawyer's office in boston and they have a billboard that's on my drive home and it's always just suggestive enough and innuendo-y enough to make you do a double take but by the time you realize what it says you've already driven by it and i think that is the most magical billboard ever and it's always something that's so 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 close to being inappropriate but it doesn't quite get there is it like um, an image or is it like this, <laughs> what they no, say it's, it's it's what it says which is why it's what like it hard say? to read what was the last one the one that they had for christmas really was incredible um and of course now that i say it i can't remember any of them but oh so they keep changing it too yeah they keep changing it every time i go home <laughs> it's different they I do like a, they do like a seasonal billboard <laughs> <And it's> <laughs> 
that's I I love that in itself. It's just yeah. like the like hip, like constantly changing billboard by the same yeah. people. Yeah. 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 It's there's <laughs> my favorite billboard of all time when uh when my parents were living in Ohio. If you drove to Cleveland, they had a uh-huh. bunch of billboards. Um and it would be like a picture of like pretzels and they'd be like, Would you take this if there was fentanyl in it? Like, would you eat these pretzels? And they're like, there might be fentanyl in your drugs. And I was like, oh. who is this for? Like, I was like, gracious. I was like, yeah, that makes me want to like check my cocaine because, like, oh, wow. pretzels. That's where I draw the line. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just had that's so many questions. Yeah. It's it's up there with that. Um, what is that campaign where it was like Nebraska or something where they're like, we're on meth. It was <laughs> these really serious. <laughs> I had not seen that one. <laughs> oh, it's great. It, I think they like just didn't put the font or like they yeah. didn't think about the phrasing. So it's all these mm-hmm. like very serious like farmers and stuff, but it just says like we're on meth. <laughs> like we're on top of it. Yeah. Did not come oh, off that way. Oh, 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 I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Yikes. Cool. Okay. cool. I you know, I actually did want like before I got into TV writing, I wanted to do like work for the the ad council and make like super innovative psas <laughs> maybe that would be my second career honestly Listen, I, I love yeah. a good psa you always need a plan b <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be my campaign for birth control it's just <laughs> oh yeah you always you need always a plan, plan b, b. <laughs> <laughs> this is like <laughs> with the pill <laughs> Oh my god! I can see, I can see the campaign already. Like, yeah. like a bunch of like accidents, like <laughs> someone accidentally dropping something. Like, you always need a plan B. <laughs> you always need a plan B. <laughs> That's Oops, incredible. Serious. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, this Goodness is going to come up in my background check when this I work really for the government. This really is, but it's great. It's great. <laughs> Worth it. <laughs> It's worth it. Parker, thank you so much. I love talking to you. And I'm, I'm sure our audience is going to appreciate everything that you had to say about the big topic that is representation. I really enjoyed our conversation. I did too. This is great. See? Sociology and comedy. <laughs> Sociology <laughs> they make a beautiful baby together. Yes. Who it knew? Works. It works. Yeah. Take that, you... philosophy majors. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to this episode. Before you go, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you can receive new episode notifications as soon as they're released. You can subscribe right now in whatever app you're using to listen to me. You can also follow Social Deconstruction on Instagram and Twitter and find more information as well as episodes and show notes on the website, www.socialdeconstructionpod.com. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode and those that follow, I hope you'll let me know. Leave a rating and review if you have a minute to spare. Thank you again for joining me in this episode of Social Deconstruction. Catch you next time.